You've been trying for half an hour to get your little bundle of joy to be a bundle of sleep, but so far nothing's worked. You tried the binky, you tried the blanky, you even made Mr. Fluffy do the fluffy woofy dance. Alas, your tiny miracle has a very large pair of lungs, but you have an Amazon Echo, so you call for backup. Alexa, call mom. Calling mom. And just like that, grandma to the rescue. Hi, baby. Grandma's here. Alexa, thanks. Anytime. What's up, John Whitwood? What's up, everybody? This is Joshua T. Berglund's Morning Gratitude, and yes, I know it's 2 o'clock Pacific, but it's morning somewhere. Uh, (laughs) Good to see you guys again. This is round three today, but uh, you guys know how much I love doing this show, and I'm really, really grateful for all of you listening right now on Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Anchor, and TuneIn Radio, and of course, all of you right now watching on YouTube and Facebook. Good afternoon or whatever time it is for you. But yes, this is Joshua T. Berglund's Morning Gratitude. We are blessed today. Uh, We are golly, we're blessed to have somebody uh, that was referred to the show. And reading his bio and just learning a little bit about what he's about, I'm truly inspired and geeked out to do this. And this is exactly why I love doing the show, is all of the incredible people that uh, come on here every single day, sometimes three times a day, (laughs) but really, really excited. So like I said, this is Joshua T. Berglund's Morning Gratitude brought to you by Anton J. Are you looking to create a predictable, sustainable income? Anton J. will make your business better and you get the credit. If you or someone you know has a business who is not meeting its potential, or does not have the infrastructure to support its growth, please call 619-394-6725. That's 619-394-6725. Anton J. has been described as guardian angels because they fix the past and safeguard the future. Our guest, Alan Stevens, is an international profile and communication specialist. This is going to be so awesome. He is regularly featured on national TV, radio, and in the world's press, profiling the likes of our leading politicians, TV, and sports stars, as well as Britain's royalty. How freaking cool. He is an Amazon's best-selling author, a coach, and trainer. He has also been referred to as the leading authority on reading people globally by the UK Guardian and the mentalist Wait, and the mentalist meets Dr. Phil by the Herald. Okay, I want to rephrase that. Okay, yeah, mentalist meets Dr. Phil by the Herald. Now, that is an interesting description. Alan teaches people how to understand themselves and read other people so that they can create better and longer-lasting relationships in all areas of their lives. In business, to increase sales and improve staff and customer loyalty. In raising and educating children as well as personal relationships. With international clients, the likes of Disney Films and Gillette, high-profile organizations like the Australian Federal Police, Allen now works with business owners and executives to understand and engage their clients and prospects, enhancing the presentations and negotiation skills. Holy wow, this is going to be amazing. What's up, Dr. Garcia? Good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Alan Stevens. I am so stoked to have you on the show, man. 
Well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the invitation to come on. It's been uh, it's going to be a pleasure. Awesome. So, first things first, before we get into all the fun stuff. Well, this is fun. What are you grateful for today? Well, I was talking to you earlier on about the things that I love to do in helping people. The thing I'm really grateful for are the people around me at the moment. Like yesterday, I put up a uh, Facebook Live, and within a couple of hours, over 500 people had viewed it. It was starting to be shared. Wow. So uh, that's what I'm really happy about because I'm trying to get uh, the word out on how my stuff can be used in education and other areas, helping kids, and people are getting right behind it. So I'm really grateful for that uh, support. That is, I'm just, in reading your profile, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, where, where does one discover that they have the gift to do that? Like, where does it come, where did it start for you? Well, for me, uh, by not having the gift in the first place and making nothing but mistakes in uh, connecting with people. I started out at the age of 23 being put in charge of a group of uh, uh, technicians who were all older than me. My second in charge was 38 and I was 23. Wow. So getting them on site. And then uh, in my uh, uh, mid-30s, I uh, joined a surf club where I thought, right, I'm the same age as all the other surf lifesavers. Uh, and they talked me into coming, becoming the club captain, but I'd only just done my bronze, where they had had their training since they were young kids. So now I'm telling people who are all more experienced what to do. And I was put in charge of three beaches as well, which compounded the issue. And then in my uh, later 30s, I raised three boys on my own. They were 4, 11 and 12 when their mother left. So um, out of my depth most of my life. Oh my gosh. So that's where it all started for me. Fascinating. So what is the skill set that's required to be able to read people? Is it just patience? I mean, what is it? Because it, it, it is a gift, whether you were given it or not, you developed it. To That, that skill set is something that we all, we, we all think that we can read people, but we really, we don't. Well, we, when we were younger, everybody were very good at reading people, picking up the emotions and uh, of parents and adults as young children. That's how we survive. Now, how many children do you know who push their parents right to the edge, but don't push them over the edge? They take them all that way, exactly. So that's how, as young children, we had the gift. But it's like anything, it's like any muscle. If you don't work it, it atrophies. So as we get older, we get caught up in, you know, uh, playing sports, going to school, learning subjects, getting older, chasing girls, chasing boys, etc. And so we're not using the skill, and it just drops away. All I really do is teach people what they already know. I bring it from their unconscious mind to their conscious mind. Wow. That's how it all works. So when you're working with a, a client, like how, does it long, how long does it take you to, to, to really work with them and coach them where they can go off on their own? Well, it depends on what they're looking to do. If they're looking to just be able to build instant rapport, I've got some online courses that people can learn that in less than uh, well, three hours three or four hours and they have the skills. If you want to be able to uh, pick up the um, body language and the micro expressions, little twitches on the face that tell you the emotions, that's another skill set again. Because I, I work with four different skill sets that I bring into the process. Your facial features tell me your personality. And if you think about it, any muscle that you work, you're going to build ridges and crevices. And the same thing's going to happen when you're thinking and concentrating you're going to build ridges and crevices on your face because of the muscles that you keep using all the time. Because our neurology and physiology are linked. So that tells me how you like to think and process. It doesn't tell me what you're thinking and what you're processing. It's <laughs> like, I know, I'm a thinker. <laughs> this is the thing, people always, when I walk in, they find out what I do, they all go, <laughs> I go, too late, got you as you walk through the door. Because that's how fast you can profile somebody as they walk past you. But the micro-expressions, the little twitches on the face that happen when something happens around you or somebody says something, unconsciously we, re we react, we give away an expression, and then the conscious mind steps in and shuts it off. And that can be as fast as a, a fifth of a second down to one twenty-fifth of a second. But the human eye can pick it up. And oh. you can pick that up and start to learn how to do that within a few hours and be quite proficient at it. So when people, when you hear about terrorists being profiled it's not a it's not is uh people like to say that it's it's racist and it, it, it it's you're targeting people really what it is is that you're able to analyze the face based on how it's 
what you were saying, like the whether it, where the wrinkles are, things like that, correct? Yeah. So if someone is yeah. suspicious or they have something on them that they shouldn't have, they're going to give it away. Yeah, they're going to give that away in the expressions itself and the body language. You know, they're going to have that sort of looking around, staring, watching what's going on, the intensity in the eyes. You can pick up dangerous demeanor, somebody who's actually plotting to do some damage. So if you're at a, a large event, like a, um, uh, a pop concert, you can actually pick out who might be trying to do the wrong thing because of their behavior. Oh my gosh. The actual uh, ridges and crevices, well, that tells you how they like to think and process. And there is a, um, uh, a cultural uh, connection in there because some of the traits... We'll see uh, uh, islanders, for instance, have much broader nostrils, more flared nostrils. We have uh, uh, Asians, for instance, usually have wider set eyes. Those sort of things would make an allowance for that. But the whole idea of reading somebody when it comes to their personality is to have a better relationship with them. Because we already have a lot of bias when we read people. Think about some time when you had uh, somebody that did the wrong thing by you in the past. Right. What's your initial feeling when you see somebody else who looks like them, who reminds you of them? Straight away into your emotions and feeling the angst and the unhappiness, the anger that you had for the other person, and the level of distrust just rises up straight away. Right. Well, two people can look very similar. One could be a saint, one could be a sinner. It tells us how they like to think and process, but not what they're thinking and processing. So one could be looking at, well, how do I help the world, like you and I were talking about before, or it could be somebody as well, how do I look after me? Hang everybody else, I just want to get as much money or whatever. Right. So that, when you're looking at somebody, it'll tell you the way they think, but not what they're thinking. Their behavior, their body language, their expressions, how they talk when you're talking to them, that will then tell you whether their character is in line, which way their character is going. Wow. So what you, like, I, I mean, again, your resume is so impressive, but like, what's your why? Like, why do you, why did you choose that? Why did you choose this field of work? Well, because of that, as I said, I was never very good at uh, reading people. I've been through a lot of relationships. I've had two divorces. I've had business partners who had, you know, uh, well, virtually emptied the bank out. And I just got to that stage where I just had to make better connections with people. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I used to work with uh, Myers-Briggs and DISC and those sort of psychometric profiling techniques. And a company actually employed me to figure out why none of their students, they were a currency trading company, none of their students were making any money. So I used the, uh, the questionnaires and things to ask people to get their personalities, understand them. But I realized that people were trying to second guess those questions. And somebody just mentioned to me when I was doing a, helping a friend out with um, at his spiritual retreat, I was doing a workshop for him using the Myers-Briggs and uh, DISC profiles. And this guy just said to me, ever looked at reading faces? <laughs> I'm a sort of curious character. I went, oh, that sounds cool. I went searching on the web and found the different specialists like Paul Ekman, who did all the micro expressions, and a dear friend of mine by the name of Naomi Tickle, who's in the States, an English lady, who taught me about the facial features. I'd already had my master's in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, like the language we use and how that steers the, the conversations and the directions. And body language, I've been working with that since uh, about 1975. So I then put those together, and that's why, well, the Herald called me the, um, uh, the mentalist meets Dr. Phil, simply because it was Dr. Phil with his expertise in being able to you know, steer conversations and get people to think about things differently. My and the um, uh, the mentalist ability to be able to read people, and that's virtually what it was. Those four skills together, when I put them together, became unique worldwide. So I was the only person at that time when I started this doing uh, exactly what I was doing. So what made so? Who do you enjoy working with the most? Is it the the politicians, the celebrities, the corporations? Like who do you get inspired by the most to work with? Well, I have to admit that the politicians and the sporting stars and the celebrities was really great from the point of view it raised my reputation. Because I've been trying, one of the areas I really want to get into is schools. Mm. Helping the kids so they don't fall through the cracks. I don't know what it's like in the, what the numbers are in the States, but here in Australia, we have, um, well, last year it was 450 children uh, committed suicide oh, and actually God. were successful, but 10 to 20 times that uh, trial. Four years earlier, it was only a hundred that were committing, who were actually taking their lives. 
but then 7,000 kids going to hospital from self-harming. Now we've got, that number's increased dramatically, and we have um, kids as young as seven self-harming. And we have girls between the age of 11 and 15, over 5% of all of those girls will have attempted suicide at some stage through that 11 to 15 year age group. And this is the situation we've got. Those kids then grow up, they have no idea of what sports or, or what uh, careers they would suit them. So we send them out from, you know, at school, they're not good at maths, so we put more effort, get, let's get the maths right. Then they, they're doing something they hate, but they get their level of maths up. Then when it comes to selecting a, um, a career, careers advisor says, oh, you're good at maths, you should be an accountant. <laughs> so you'll make a lot of money. So they go off to university, get a degree, have a, a, uh, an education debt that they've got to pay back, and if they finish their degree, they go into a job and they go, I don't like this. So now they're unhappy at work, and I know that with all the Gallup research recently, that over a, about 150 com countries that they researched, 87% of people are disengaged in their work. They don't want to be there, they're not happy. Right. So they're not productive, so those companies aren't making as much money. And so those people then go home, they're fighting with their spouse, their kids are copying it, and we're just making society worse and worse. But if we're able to help these kids understand how they learn, teach them to their learning style, so they don't fall through the cracks, work on their strengths, and when they get towards the later part of school, giving them some direction on what sports, sorry, what careers will suit them, because we've already worked out what sports and hobbies as they've been coming through, but now what careers will suit them, direct them into that line you know, we've got a, what we call a job guide, which is a list of about 1,800 jobs in a, you know, a, a little book, which is like a, a telephone directory. And we give that to kids and we go, go read this. Pick a job that's going to suit you. Well, they don't read it because there's too much in there. It's, Where do I start? But if you said to them, right, here's a couple of careers that may suit you, go and check these out. It's like a yellow page is now a directory where they can actually go and research it themselves and make their own decision. So they still make their own decision, but make it easier for them. They go off to university, they get a degree, they find that they go into that field, they enjoy the work they're, uh, they're doing. We, we actually educate them to be leaders as well, so now everybody's happier at work. They're happier in their home life, their kids then have a happier time. We reduce uh, domestic violence, we reduce bullying. There's all those areas that just come from being able to read people and talk to them in the way that they want to be talk uh, spoken to. How, and everything that you're saying is is a ooh. Hold on, let me turn that down. Oof, that's a bad echo there for a second. It'll sort itself out in a second. It sometimes takes a while. I don't know why that happens. Um, how big is emo an emotional intelligence in what you guys do? It's a major part of it because it's all about when you read somebody, you're connecting with them. I can connect with somebody and instantly change their feelings about where they're at because I, I speak to them in the way that they want to be spoken to. You know, from what I can see, that you're a little bit more analytical, so you need, you'll analyse things before you make a decision, which means when you speak to people, you'll give them more information. Now, if you're talking to somebody who is just big picture only, just give me the broad picture, I'll make a decision on that. Now, how many times have you spoken to somebody and everything's been going fine, and then all of a sudden they've switched off? <laughs> if you can read that, you can then talk to them the way that they want to be spoken to. So if you've got a parent, for instance, who is, say, very concise, is, you know, doesn't waffle on a lot, but their child does you know, embellish stories, they talk a lot, they make a story of everything that they're, when they're speaking. When there's a disconnection between them, the parent will get stressed, worried about their child, if the child's gone quiet, for instance, and they will then start asking questions, but now they'll come out as a bullet point. They be almost comes like an interrogation for the child. So the child now backs off completely and goes even quieter. Well, the parent understands that the child needs to be have it been spoken to as a story. They can explain to them, look, I've been worried about it, and start chatting to them and then ask the question. Completely changes the uh, relationship in that one instant. Done immediately. Yeah, Randy says, this sounds like a great program that Alan is referring to. The youth of today really needs programs like this. I, I don't know... Randy, are you, you're in the United States, aren't you? Um, and you're, Alan, I know you're in Australia. What are the school systems like in Australia? And, I mean, do you know much about the school systems in America? 
I've been working with uh, a teacher in uh, LA. What actually happened, in Australia, we have this attitude, if you want to get something put into Australia, you've got to take it overseas. And I actually had one government department say to me, they wouldn't put it in paper, they said it verbally, Alan, if you want to get what you're doing into schools in Australia, go and prove it overseas first. Crazy. So what I ended up doing was um, a young uh, teacher from uh, LA who was over here in Australia and I met her through some friends. I spoke to her about what I did. She went back and she got in touch and said, look, I've got a boy in particular who is always in front of the principal every other day. You know, his academic levels aren't the best. His parents are worried about him. They want to, you know, people are saying he should get tested for ADHD or Asperger's, autism, etc." <coughs> The end result, uh, I said to the parents, well, if you send me the photographs, I'll profile him for you. So I profiled him for his photographs, never saw him before this. And I sent them an audio file back saying, look, this is how he will um, process. This is how he thinks. This is how you need to talk to him. Then I did a Zoom call with the parents and the teacher, and I told each of them how they needed to change the way they wanted to be spoken to, to the way he needed to be spoken to. And each of them had to change differently, all of them to speak the same way. That was uh, earlier last year, uh, before he uh, left primary school and went to high school in August, he, his academic levels had improved, he was no longer seeing the principal, and then in January, the end of January, I got an email from his father thanking both the teacher and I for the work that we did with uh, his, their son, because he was now in high school, academic levels were great, yes he still had his moments, hey he's a 12 year old boy, he's going to have his moments. Uh, but the life was completely different and it changed their lives and that email came unsolicited. It was just something the father felt and he wanted to send to us. So that's how I understood it there. As far as it goes, it doesn't matter what school, what uh, country it's in, if you can talk to the children in the way that they need to be spoken to, straight away you've got a great connection with them. And you have to get a connection with every child in the class because you get a connection with one, now they've got their peer group pressure because the others haven't got it. So the teacher's got to be able to talk to all of them in their own particular style. And I'm now running some pilot programs here in Australia, which I'd love to run in. Well, I'd like to go through the Western world to start with. That'd be New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada, and England. And then I've got uh, other face profilers I've been connecting with around the world. And some people that wanted to become profilers who were school teachers, who are now starting to do it in their own schools, like the Netherlands, for instance. Wow. So the more teachers, you know, I know when I first started looking at working with children about 20 years ago, I was just looking at Australia and I was talking to, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Robert Kiyosaki back then or through his agents, uh, he wanted to teach the kids of the world and I thought, well that's pretty ambitious, I just want to teach Australia. Well <laughs> I've changed now, I want to teach the kids of, of the world as well. Because if we have people growing up happier in every country, there's going to be less uh, conflict between countries as well. And how many kids, I mean, think about everyone that's listening right now. Think about when you were a kid and think about that moment that you really were excited about someone, something or doing something or was it whether it was singing or tap dancing or whatever. Think about that time when you were doing an activity and someone told you to stop it. You're being silly. You're being goofy. You're being dumb. You're being whatever. And like and how that shut you down. Think about that feeling. Like I'm in a group right now and I talk about it a lot on the show. I'm part of a leadership emotional intelligence academy and learning a lot of the stuff, learning the different communication styles and learning really just how to communicate and learn how to take feedback without getting my panties in a wad and like it just to be able just to to have a conversation and be detached from the emotion of conversation in the way that normally triggers people and also getting rid of limiting beliefs and so on. But I can sit here and tell you that I've been around, there's, you know, multi-millionaires, people that are, that are, you know, just, that are very successful in their fields, but yet you hear them talk about their limiting beliefs, their struggles, or their fear to be a certain thing, which is themselves, because of something they heard when they were seven years old, eight years old, six years old. That someone said you're stupid or someone said, you know, or didn't explain the information and they got frustrated. And like I was one of those kids. Like I hated school because the way that I was being forced to try to learn was not – it was programming. It wasn't learning. 
I wasn't using the things that I wasn't learning in the way that I was meant to learn. And it was frustrating. And it feels like it feels like we are starting to wake up to how we teach our children so that they can go on and be happy and they can and they can live the lives they were meant to live without these limiting beliefs. But yet we have that happening. But then we have another side that's happening where parents are so distracted, they're not paying attention to our kids. Which goes back to, goes back to what you were saying with the suicide rate. Because I know it's really high in America too. And see that suicide is not only happening where the parents are disconnected from their children, but even where you've got parents, or they call them helicopter parents, who hover over their children and want to make sure they tell them they're special. How to set your kid up for failure straight away? Tell them they're special, but then not do anything about it. You know. How many kids are, you know, get angry at school because they're not achieving, because there's this expectation on them, and mm. they're topping themselves because of it? When you've got a child, the, you know, I heard one of the you know, teachers in America actually at the assembly, it actually said to all the kids at the assembly with the parents there, look, I'm here to tell you none of you are special. What you have inside of you is what, that, what it takes to be special. Your job is to bring it out, and our job is to help you but we're not going to give you a trophy for turning up. You earn everything that you get. That's the way to actually raise the kids because we went from, well, when I was at school, if I came home with a bad report card, <laughs> I would go, why didn't you do better? What are you doing wrong, Alan? Whereas today, parents go in and say to the teacher, why aren't you teaching my little Jimmy or Jane? Yeah. What haven't you done right? Yeah. We set kids up for failure if we just put them up on this little pedestal and we wrap them in cotton wool. As I keep saying to people, if I, I raised three boys of my own, so when they grew up, if they got in with fights with each other or their mates, my job was not to stop the fight, my job was to make sure that it was a safe environment. How much harm can a five-year-old do to another five-year-old? But you tell them they're special, you set them up for failure, then they're 24 years old, standing inside of a hotel with an empty beer glass and a full gut of beer, this is why they can't handle themselves, because they've had none of those learnings on the way through. You have to have a few knocks. But our job as parents, we're not sculptors, we're not uh, carpenters, we're gardeners. We're not, it's not us to turn our kids and turn them into something that we think they should be. Our job is to nurture them so they become, grow and become the individuals that they were meant to be. We That's guide awesome. them through. You know, and this is the job of a teacher, is not to fill their mind. You don't take an empty mind and fill it. You take an empty mind and you expand it. You give them some ideas where the child then starts to become a problem-based uh, learning process or an experiential learning, not rote learning. Because we don't teach them subjects, we teach them how to think. And when you teach them how to think, they're going to be right for the rest of their life. I love that. Who is the biggest influence in your life? I would have said, you know, a lot of people talk about the famous people, but really the greatest influences for me have been the, well, when I was at the surf club and examining all the kids for their bronze medallions, they told me how to look at the surf in a different way. Then I sit down, I got a cab the other day with a 74-year-old guy who was actually doing some part-time work driving the cab, the taxi, and he was telling me his life experiences. It was a 45-minute drive from where we were going to, from where we started, but it seemed like five minutes. The information, so everybody that I meet is an influencer. You know, I've got this belief that the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I know everything. So I've always got that open mind. And it's, you know, keep your mind open, listen to people, and just take in what they've got to say. And in that, quite often, somebody might say something that's troubling them, and I'll make a comment, and all of a sudden it will change. Because I realised this particular taxi driver, his, uh, one of his sons had got involved in drug, uh, drugs and alcohol. And... It was the influence he had around him. And I could see that on his face that he was blaming himself. Mm. I just made the comment, well, it happens in some of the best families. This is you know, the influences outside. So he realized he just wasn't the total influence around his son. It was everything else. And I could see straight away the uh, stress that was in his face was starting to drain away. And as soon as you do that, you can change the way you're thinking. I'll give you an example of how fast this works when you're able to read somebody and connect with them the right way. I had a gentleman who was an investigator on the railway, so he went out to all the accidents. And as he said, a lot of them were accidents. People were committing suicides in front of trains, and it's pretty gruesome when you get to that sort of situation. And for 
quite a period of time, he was trying to get changes, but the organisation said, no, this is the way we always do it. So he went off on stress leave, and he first got in touch with me, and his management said, no, you can't go and see him, we don't recognise what this bloke does. So he saw two psychologists and a psychiatrist over a two-year period. He had cognitive behavioural therapy uh, with both of these psychologists. He had drug therapy with the psychiatrist. They finally, because I built a couple of mobile apps a few years ago, they're outdated now, but when I first put them out, he was talking to his psychiatrist and he was saying, oh, this stuff that that bloke does, you know, we don't, make, we don't recognise any of that. So he pulled the app out on his phone, profiled his psychiatrist while he was sitting there and said, oh, check this out. And the psychiatrist said, who's that? He said, it's you. And he went, oh. So he told the management that, wouldn't say that what I did was good, but uh, this gentleman just got so motivated every time he talked about me, I'd be good for him, the motivation was great. <laughs> so when we sat down, I said, "Rightio, you've spent two years looking at your problems. The last thing we're going to do is look at your problems. He said, well, how are we going to fix it? I said, well, I'm not looking at it. I said, outside of you, what's an issue that you have? He said, oh, I just can't connect with other people. And I said, well, because he's around his PTSD. And I said, well, you need to be able to read other people. He went, yeah. So then we, I taught him how to read other people. And in that process, he couldn't help but understand his own traits as well. But every trait has an upside, every trait has a downside. Somebody who's got dramatic appreciation as a natural presenter, they do stress with the same fervor. You know, to the other people who are more aesthetic about how it feels internally. Those dramatic expression people, well, they're drama queens. To the person who's got aesthetic appreciation. <laughs> So, <laughs> I've had to work on that. Beautiful traits for disaster when it comes to relationships. I've got very fine hair, which is all about somebody who's very empathetic. Great for a, um, a counsellor to have. Great for somebody in the clergy or somebody who's working closely with people with their emotional issues. It's a great trait to have. But it's what I call low physical insulation. In other words, you get affected by everything. So as I'm joking to him, talking to him, I said, look, somebody who's uh, got very fine hair, is very emotional, very empathetic, and there was an old test for um, uh, a young girl who was, a, she, they thought, well, she, is she a princess? Well, way to test this, an old fairy style story. They got a hard pee and put it down the ground, put a mattress on top of it. Funny enough, you and I were talking about mattresses this morning. And <laughs> got on top of the mattress and slept on it, and she complained the next day about this lump in the, in the mattress. They put more mattresses on top. And the old story rhyme was that if you were a princess, you would feel it. Well, when it comes to emotional empathy, I've got really fine hair. I'm that princess. <laughs> and joking and laughing about it, all the stress about what I thought of him was no longer an issue. And he's now um, five weeks after we finished the training, because in two weeks, everything turned around. He renegotiated a better property settlement with his ex-wife. He had four children, two girls and two boys who didn't really want to see him. He renegotiated a relationship with them to the point that one of the boys wanted to move in with him full time. He's completely changed his lifestyle. He's no longer with the, uh, the railways. He found another lady, got a great partnership, travels the world, his life's completely different. And then 18 months after I did the, um, he did his first testimonial, he did another one. Yes, he still has PTSD, but he knows what triggers it, he can control it. And he's now become a model for other people with PTSD on what they can actually do. And that was all through just teaching him how to read other people. So nice and simple. But I want you to know other people, know yourself first, know, um, uh, understand the other person, and then talk to them in the way they want to be spoken to. Nothing hard in that at all. No, there's really not. And it's it's funny. It's so funny that you bring this up is because what I've been learning through this four, I've been on a four month journey. I'm like two weeks away from no, that's not true. I've got another three weeks to go. I look, I think before I graduate, but the triggers that I used to have, you know, from PTSD and some other issues and um, borderline personality disorder, things like that. Like I'm not always this charming. Um <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I mean, I have my triggers, right? But the the things that I've learned, the tools that I've learned have allowed me to be able to take feedback without getting triggered. And also the way I communicate with others that have the different personality types. Like, for instance, 
I use this example a lot, but people that used to ask lots of questions, I took that as like, is mistrust. Like, mm. why don't you just take my word for it? But there are some people that are analyzers that love every stinking detail. That drives me nuts. I'm not a detail-oriented guy like that. But at the same time, I understand the value in that and the importance in learning how to communicate because all of us have big, all of us have huge potential. All of us, every single one of us. No one is more special than anyone else when it comes to your potential and the gifts that you've been given. Yeah. Not all of us meet it. it, comes down to it. Everybody, everyone on the planet has a gift. Everyone's uniquely different, mm -hmm. and everybody brings something to the table. And, but we have to work together to get there. That's but, it. And yeah. we have to know how to. We get to know how to communicate with each personality type, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. So you mean like I don't get depressed anymore because I don't have the expectation. I'm not putting expectations on people any longer. It's, it's a focus of how I'm showing up, a focus of what I'm doing and how I'm working with other people or how I'm communicating, how I'm receiving information. And all of a sudden, all of these mental health issues that used to cripple me have gone away. I'm like, well, I'm not even taking medication. Like, what the heck's that all about? Like, it's amazing what we can teach our brains to do. And so it's in point to what you're talking about. Golly, that sounds like an amazing resource. I mean, what an amazing tool. And this is what I, I, I love sharing it. This is one of the reasons I'm really appreciative to people like yourself who take me on air and share what, my story with other people. We can make a change. As they say, what we uh, do for ourselves dies with us. Mm. What we do for the world and for others is and always will be immortal. So what we actually share with other people and how we actually impact on their lives, they go out and impact on other people. It's the old pay it forward, but people may not be conscious they're doing it. But if you smile at somebody, they smile back. Yeah. They'll then smile at somebody else. It's a flow on effect. And if we're all concentrating on, well, I want to have better relationships with people. People say to me, do you turn off, turn off what you're doing? I may not look so much for the... Uh, the expressions and things, but I want to be able to connect with that person so I can have a better discussion. I can enjoy myself more. Mm. And if I can enjoy myself more doing that, they're also going to have a good time as well. And therefore, that then that flows on to other people. It's all about making those connections in a, you know, a caring way. What do you say about someone? Because I, I, I believe that we all, whether it's covered up with a bunch of crap or not, but I really believe that we all, it is in our our soul that we just want to connect with others. We want to be loved. We want to be, we want to be heard. I'm talking to you, Bonnie. Um, we all want to be heard. And like, so the, this, the, the community, but a big part of that is understanding how to communicate and understanding, you know, that, 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 that the different personality types and to not take things serious. And when you understand that people want to learn differently or they want to communicate differently. They want to be their, they, they, their, their love language is different. When you start to understand those things and really just respect that, it's amazing how the world around you changes to where all of a sudden that person you thought didn't like you, mm. you, you quit personalizing that and you just be, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, I thought I didn't like you, but now you're like one of my best friends. How in the hell did that happen? And it's through communication. It's through understanding tools like what you teach. Uh, hold on, really quick. Randy says, I think Alan is referring to mirror neurons. Others reflect our actions. You're smi you smile and you smile back. Is that what you mean, mirror neurons? Or do you know that yeah, term? Well, that's, that's part of it. There's a whole mass of things in here that come into it. But the, the mirror neurons, yeah, we, we do. If you go up to somebody and you snarl at them or you've got to a suspicious look on your face, they're going to pull back, they're going to respond in kind. So this is the first place where you can actually connect with somebody. I also look at, well, how do I actually walk up to someone? How much space do I give them? Right. And I do, when I'm giving a presentation, I do play with some of this and I push the buttons on some people and everything else. <laughs> Everyone has a bit of a laugh. But when I do a talk, for instance, I profile everybody in the room. Everybody gets a chance to read each other and uh, also uh, get to read themselves and understand themselves better. It's all about when I finish doing a presentation, it's not just talking at them, but it's for them to have some tools when I leave. And so 
we look at that side. I don't go too much into the scientific understanding of it. I keep it very much uh, layperson orientated, so people can really just understand that. Okay, well, it's cause and effect. Yeah. Really, that's the best way to understand it. If you do one thing in one way, people will respond in a, in a uh, like manner. I. So you. I didn't. Friendly to people, they're going to be friendly back, etc. Absolutely. I think somebody, Veronica, I don't know if you're still watching, but Veronica and Dr. Garcia, you guys should have uh, Mr. Stevens on your show. They are, they're energy workers, and I would love to see you guys talk because of how energy works with what you're doing. That would be fantastic to watch. They're, they're two, they're, I adore them. They're, they're two of my best friends, and they just, they do amazing work. Amazing. And they're great interviewers. So I'd love to see you on their show. It would be a, it would be terrific. And I believe the energies and everything are really strong as well. See, my background has not just been the material world and into this area. Oh, I've quite a number of years ago. I was a massage therapist. I was working with terminally ill patients, and some of those patients were actually reversing their conditions. And I needed to understand what was going to be beyond with my comprehension, because it just started happening overnight. And I then uh, connected with some Aboriginals, and about fifteen years ago, went through Aboriginal law. So, I've followed that spiritual path as well back, as the material one. Re rewind real quick. Aboriginal law? Yeah. Aboriginal law is L-O-R-E. Oh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what? I'm, I'm going to have to Google that when we're done. Okay, law. Okay, got it. Got it. So it's all about their culture, which is based on love, humility, and respect. So I needed to understand why people were reacting the way they were. And I knew that Western society, you know, modern times, wouldn't have the answers. There are a lot of answers in the you know, older cultures wow. of where it all started. To raise a child, for instance, it takes a tribe. And it's how the, the men and women of the tribe actually raise that child. Because if I raise my boys as the only you know, person around them, all they're going to be is clones of me. So I needed to have other good men around them so they could actually learn from all of those to create their own identity, which was unique from each other and everybody else. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Teach them to respect their mother, even though she'd left them, uh, so that they could then, uh, they respected their mother, they would then respect women in their lives. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's coming to my life. I grew up with being told I'd never be good enough. My father died when I was three. I was oh. um, put under so much pressure. I was nine when I tried to commit suicide. And that's which one of the reasons that drives me into the education side. Because I raised my three boys. I've got five grandkids now. Oldest one's 11 and my youngest one's three. And I've seen what they're going through. I've got two grandsons who have got um, uh, autism. So it's all with this. You know, it's pretty easy to find out what drives me. But I've realized I've been a student of life. Learn from the material world, but also learn from the spiritual world. And then work them together, not so much balance them, but how do they mold together and become a matrix? How do they actually affect each other? And so I've been a student of life all the way through. Okay, so you, you beat me to the, the my next question. So I, because I was wanting to know really what drove this burning passion inside you, because we did talk before the show started. That makes perfect sense. And I, th wow, and you know, and it's so funny, too, because, you know, we're now starting to understand autism better, uh, at least in this country. And I, I, I don't know where we're at around the world, but I have several friends that, you know, are autistic, um, has Asperger's. Uh, and then I, I dated a girl years ago who her son was autistic. And it is, you know, it's back then I used to look at it like it was this limiting thing, you know, and obviously there's precautions that you're taken and there's a bubble that you build around them in a way but I now as I've gotten to meet adults that are autistic and to see how high functioning they become but also the superpowers that they have holy Moses and we all have limitations but gum, like yes they have some limitations but their gifts and like when you get to nurture that and what you can create and do, it's inspiring. Yeah, we look at them and go, okay, they don't fit into society, so therefore we we function around that area. That's where we focus. Instead of looking at where their gifts are and nurturing that side, some of them there's I've seen heard of kids that pick up a telephone directory, read it from one end to the other, and they can recite it full stop, space, every letter, every number. Then you have others that. 
you know, look at a city, for instance, you're going to take a complete uh, scape of the whole area and get it accurate. Oh, wow. You know, there's some massive gifts there. It was about uh, seven years ago, I had a young woman who, single mum, uh, she was running a singles group, um, and I did an event for her on that weekend called How to Avoid the Psychopath and Other Practical Games. <laughs> and then she, for a complete switch on this, she came and said, well, look, I've got a son who's got Asperger's. Can you profile him? And I said, well, look, will he sit still? And she said, no, he won't. And I said, well, take some photographs. This is how I want the photographs taken. And she sent them through to me. And I, in this, in, back then I was only doing written reports. So I sent her a written report and said, look, this is how you need to deal with him. This is how you talk to him. This is how you set his environment up so it's conducive to him so you connect better with him. Right. She went back to the school and she played what we, we have after schools care and we have the school itself. And she played one against the other saying that the other was doing it. If they didn't do it, then it would fail. So it was on their heads. And they both came to the party, both the after schools and the teachers. And they said at the age of six, he would never do presentations in front of the class. A year later, we had a health forum in uh, Newcastle in the town hall. I was one of the speakers and she got up because when everyone said, well, how good is what you do? I said, well, let's hear from somebody who's been there. She got up and she gave a testimonial in front of in the town hall itself to everybody saying that he was now doing presentations in front of the class. A year and a half later, we did another, um, she did another testimonial video for me where she said that he was, um, his medications have been re reduced dramatically. They no longer needed the psychologist. My psychologists don't really like what I do. <laughs> Didn't need the psychologist anymore. And his um, academic levels were starting to improve. She then told me that she'd found the fellow of, of her dreams as well, so she was getting married. He had a son who was a year younger than hers, and the boys got on really well. When he was 11 years old, he said, Mum, I want a birthday party. And she went, oh, you know, all of his schoolmates, this could be a real disaster. They had the birthday party. She said it was noisy, but it was a boys' party. And no problems at all. He's now, uh, what's this, seven no, years later, he's 13, he's in high school, he's doing really well. He's in the same class as all the other kids. There's no special needs anymore. And it was all about, if you understand their, what triggers them, you set their environment up around it. You know, like Temple Grandin and other uh, professionals like that who have got Asperger's and uh, autism and work in that area, they'll actually tell you, talk to our trades, talk to us the way that we need to. If, we're, if you tell them, I'm going down the shop, I'm just going to get two items, don't go and get a third one because you've just broken the contract. Understand how they think and process and you won't trigger them. Don't take them down the shops when it's really busy because those kids are highly sensitive. Their brain's working in overlay. Wow. Ours shuts off and we you know, delete stuff very quickly, but their brain isn't. So there's so much stuff going on, they can't control it. And that's why they get stressed out. So just remove all those uh, things that cause them to become hypersensitive. That's amazing. And all of a sudden you've got a great connection with them. And then you talk to them in the way they want to be spoken to. If you've got a child who can't uh, take eye contact, sit beside them. Look at what they're looking at, don't look at them. If it's so, you know, and this is the thing, understand the other person and talk to the other person the way they want to be spoken to. It's not hard. If we do that with any other person, why not with them as well? I freaking love this. This is great. This is, I, I love it. So now I'm curious, what the heck do you do for fun? Or is this, <laughs> you just go around profiling people all day. What do you, what do you do for fun? Uh, well, I've had a few uh, young people say to me, both men and uh, girls, the women, they've said, oh, what are you doing Friday night? And I'm like, oh, I go, here we go, wingman. <laughs> and I had a young fella said, oh, come down for a drink. And I went, you get the drinks in. I, I know that you, what you want me to be is your big wingman, but we won't do that. What I'll get you to do is, you tell me what you reckon's going on in the room, and I'll tell you what's really happening. I'll go to a cafe, for instance, as well. We have a bit of fun with that. Then I had a whole lot of girls saying, meow. Can you, uh, what are you doing Friday night? <laughs> yeah. Can you come out and tell us who we should be dating and who we shouldn't be dating on the, you know, who should we stay away from in the pub? And then I'd sit in the cafe and I'll be watching people, parents that might be having a hard time with their kids. Also, you a trait. If you've got a child who's banging away, making noise, only three years old, it's a couple of uh, months ago, banging away and making a noise, and the parent, the mother was getting irate, worried about what everybody that was in the cafe thought, so I told her. I said, I can see he's got a music trait. And she said, what? I said, no, I'm not being facetious or anything else. I said, he's got a music trait. I can see it in his face. 
he's got a gift for music and if you listen to the beat you'll hear the rhythm and I said look if you want to find out how music affects him because it will impact on him greatly try different music when you get home you oh, work out what music cheers him up, what quietens him down, so you know what music he should be listening to when he's studying later on. But I said he's also got pitch. He's got a, an ear for not only hearing music, but being able to pick, detect any changes. So a possible sound engineer, a, a singer, a musician, a conductor who you know has an orchestra will know exactly which one's out of tune. And I'm giving you ideas. He's three years old. And I'm talking about when he's 16, 17 years old of what she can still be using that understanding around his traits. So when I'm talking to people like that... You should start a daycare. Change their attitude to their kids. All of a sudden go, oh, I've got a prodigy here. And not just, I've got this little terror that needs to be quietened down. I'm watching people change their life. I get a buzz out of that. Oh, my. It's really enjoyable watching people change and how they reconnect. They're young couples talking to them about the difference in their traits and why their buttons get pushed. You mentioned the love languages. Well, words of affirmation. What words do you speak? Uh, physical touch. How do you do that physical touch? When is it appropriate? Being able to read a person, you can take the five love languages to a completely new level as well. There's no limitation to where this stuff can be used. They should be teaching this in daycare. Like, I think part of the daycare certification is, is feedback. Dadgummit. I think, I think, honest to God, that the kids, like, if, if you work with kids, school teachers, they should teach this to school teachers because they're spending yeah. the majority of time with kids anyway. Why not? Like, this is such a valuable thing because now that loud person that's beating on things and, you know, now you're just like, oh, you know what? You got a special gift. Let's nurture that so we can have the next great John Bonham or, or whoever, Tommy Lee. Yeah. Like, it's... This is amazing to me. Yeah, well, if you've got a, I'll give you three traits that um, you'll see in young children. Some people are objective thinkers where they can pull ideas of, around that they, they don't need to hear everything. They can pull it together over time. Right. Someone who's sequential, though, everything's got to be connected. First item, second item, fully understand the first, put the second item with them, fully understand that before they go to the third. If their child's got that trait, they've <coughs> also got the trait where they're easily distracted. But they've also got the trait that so I can look at a child and tell you whether they can sit still or not, whether they're going to be teachers. <laughs> if a child's got those three traits, they get distracted while the teacher's uh, speaking, and all of a sudden, the teacher moves on. So now they've got this fully part understood, but there's this chasm where they ha can't understand it because they're now onto this subject. That child, because they are features they can't sit still, they're easily distracted, now will become noisy in the class. So what do we do? We label them with a condition. We put them on medication. Ugh. Whereas if the teacher understood that that was their learning style and all of a sudden they started to get noisy and this is because of their other traits, something's going on here, oh, they probably missed a bit, go back over it, pick the kid up again. So the kid now is up to where all the other kids are up to and they don't fall through the cracks. This is amazing. So every school teacher should have this to understand at the front end then when we get to the high school, the teachers are going to understand that, but now also the kids to be taught. Because you can imagine, well, year 11 and 12 might be to be a busier time for them to be learning this, but in year, year 9 and 10, if they learn how to read each other, well, I, I trained two boys last year, one was 14, one was 15. And when at the end of the training, I said to them, well, how are you using it? And the younger one, who's a bit of a larrikin, you know, likable uh, larrikin, he said, oh, I've been profiling the teachers. I went, how's that working for you? He said, oh, he said, I'm having a lot more fun. He said, I'm not getting into as much trouble. I know how far to take it and everything. I said, oh, I'm having a ball. And I went, great. So I said to the other one, how are you using it? And he said, well, I'm profiling the other kids. And I said, what's that doing for you? He said, oh, I understand them a lot more now. I understand why they do the things the way they do it and everything else. And I said, well, what's that giving you? He said, tolerance. Wow. So if you've got these kids starting to understand that, the end result is you're going to have the kids. I had a whole bunch of kids in um, uh, in that uh, seminar in the town hall all those, all those years back, and I said to the, the kids, they're you know they're around about 16, 17 years old, and I was saying to them, well, what are you going to do when you leave school? Oh, we don't know yet. And I said, well, anyway, who in, who are your friends? And they said, all oh, these kids here. And I said, well, who don't you like? They said, oh, those kids over there. And I was talking to the boys, and I said, well, why don't you like them? Oh, we just don't understand and they're nerds or whatever. And I said, well, okay, forget about that for a moment. 
And I said, well, when you, um, you know, do they like doing the things that you like doing? They went, no. I said, who does? Oh, my mates do. And I said, well, what about girls? Do they like the same girls that you like? Oh, no, they don't. But your mates do, is that right? And they went, yeah. And I said, so all of a sudden, these kids who you don't like are not in your competition. Because when you apply for a job, your mates are going to be applying for the same jobs. Those other kids aren't. So there's no competition from them, but there's competition from your mates. And when it comes to getting the girls, especially when you're talking to a few of us and boys, it's a case of, well, oh, my mate's going to ask for the same girls. These kids aren't. So all right. of a sudden they saw the other kids no longer as competition. I said, look, and when you get in the workforce, there'll be tasks that you don't like doing, but I guarantee those other kids will. So isn't it great you can push that across the table to them and they can push the stuff across that you love to do that they don't want to do. Ama- so teams are made from people who are different, not, <clears throat> not the same. This is amazing. And they started to go, oh. So that was even without taking them through training them on how to read people, they were starting to understand that the kids they didn't like were kids that they should you know, start, they may not go on holidays with them, but they would be happy that they're there when it came to uh, the workplace. And they went, ah, so there's somebody that we shouldn't really be pushing away, not so much embracing them, but we should understand them and have more tolerance for them. This is That's what this stuff is all about. This is terrific, and we could keep going, but we're going to lose the live feed. I, I do want to say that everyone that's listening right now, dead gum echo, like randomly. I want to say that everyone that just joined the show, that like share the video. This has been by far. I have to. I've done 158 interviews in the last five months, and. This has been the most important interview that I've done, and I've had a, some amazing guests. And this is important, and I have a connection for you that I'm going to make with somebody that works with the school system in L.A., and she has a program that's going nationally. I think you two need oh, to talk. I, I, it, it is a must that you two talk because this is so important. This I, I, I say this all the time, mentoring the youth, getting to the youth, the, the, because there are a lot. E- it's a lot easier to fix, or not fix, but to heal the wounds of a youth, of a child, than it is a 38-year-old man. It takes a mm. lot more work, or even 50 or 60 years old. But we, if we can start working with the youth in a way that we need to work with them, like we can change the world. And so guess what? There's no better school system in the world than LA to start because have you sat in traffic in LA? <laughs> I mean, it's a bunch of crazy people that live there. God bless you all. I love you. I love LA. Love it. But you're a bunch of crazy people. You have to be to live there. You've got an edge to you. Guess what? Your kids have got an edge too. And this this stuff can help. This can stop bullying. It can mm. stop over prescribing medication to kids. Like we can change the freaking planet with this. So I'm making an introduction to uh, Veronica and Dr. Garcia. I'm going to introduce you to them. And then I'm going to introduce you to my friend Dupe. And she's an amazing human being. And I think that you guys can take this and do something special. So, Mr. Stevens. collaboration. More people working together, the better. Amen, brother. Amen. Listen, I will be in touch with you very soon. God bless you. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, and thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. It's fantastic. I thank you so much, sir. I'll talk to you soon. I'll make those introductions today. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right, guys, listen, we are getting cut off from the live feed, but I just that was amazing. Thank you for sharing. If you just now joined, I promise you, I promise you, I don't say this every time and you know it to be true because you listen to the show. Go back and listen to the beginning. Like this was the most important, this is probably the most important interview that I've ever done and it has nothing to do with me. It, it, it's a, it matters, it matters. The work that he's doing, like at first I'm thinking profile, oh this is interesting, okay. But what the work and how it can transform kids' lives is so important. So I, I, I'm telling you, share the video and if you just now jumped on, go back to the replay or go... Look, the podcast, there's 20 different platforms. It's going to be, it's all over the place right now. Listen, listen, I'm telling you, especially if you have kids, this work is important. All right, guys, God bless you. Everyone listening right now on the radio, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for their downloads. And just a reminder, um, this broadcast was brought to you by Anton J. If you're looking to create predictable, sustainable income, 
Anton J will make your business better and you get the credit. If you or someone you know has a business who is not meeting its potential or does not have the infrastructure to support its growth, please call 619-394-6725. Anton J has been described as guardian angels because they fix the past and safeguard the future. Call 619-394-6725. Thank you again, guys. God bless and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. So you're stuffing a raw chicken full of lemon and tarragon, and you're sweating because A, you can fit a lot of lemon and tarragon inside a chicken, and B, your data's arriving soon and you still haven't opened wine or put on music or set the mood, but you do have an Amazon Echo, so you say, Alexa, turn on date night. Okay. And just like that, romantic music begins to play, the lights are dimmed, and all you have to do is pour the wine right after you wash your hands, thoroughly. Alexa, you're amazing. My pleasure. My pleasure. 